service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm with it, Ben Harrison. I'm. I was wondering. I definitely heard some condescension in your introduction. <laughs> I'm Adam Pranica. Not with it. You're just barely Adam Pranica today. Less and less every day. <laughs> What were what will you change into? The people want to know. I've been doing a fairly rigorous workout every morning. Wow. Like trying to stick to it like every morning for the last couple of weeks. And uh instead of that that endorphin boost that people talk about, they rave about this, Ben. They say you're going to feel better throughout the day if you work out in the morning. <laughs> I'm so jealous of these people. <laughs> I'm not a believer. I think I'm an afternoon workout guy because I feel sluggish and bad all day wow i and i i'm i'm i know we have a lot of armchair doctors <laughs> in our viewership that are gonna probably tell me i have something terrible yeah uh but i'm pretty sure i don't have anything terrible i'm pretty sure i'm just 40 something and tired are you a workout in the morning and then no more times person because i don't really have a workout currently in my regime but i do walk the dog like three miles in the morning and three Mm. miles in the afternoon uh i also walk the dog about a mile and a half every day uh and i also sprinkle in some yoga when i can so it's not the only thing it's often an everyday thing though when i get home from my afternoon walk lately i am just fucking done it's not the heat it's not that hot I, I don't know hot. what it is. I don't know. It, it's definitely low T. It's got to be that, right? <laughs> I feel yeah. like a high T individual would be just fucking dominating things yeah. and like tearing apart phone books all <laughs> all day in the afternoon. And all I want to yeah. do is take a 40 minute nap. Well, because high T people want to recycle and they know that if they just put the entire phone book in the recycling, it's going to be very heavy yeah. for the uh, for the guy that comes and collects the recycling bin who's gonna think of the bin people (laughs) uh adam we actually have a bin full of our own here on the show today i went to the post office we had several items in our p.o box some of them have been there for a long time because oh (laughs) i i have been i've been compelled to make a post office trip about once a week for the last three or four weeks, mostly because like my dad keeps ordering dog food and having it sent to my house, and then I have to take it to the post office and send it to his house. Uh, why is he doing that? I don't know. <laughs> I keep asking, and he's like, well, yeah, what they need to do is change the address. And I'm like, yeah, dad, <laughs> you're the you one that has the relationship with the company. <laughs> That's better than my dad, who for some reason uh, will not buy anything online using electronic payment he just doesn't trust it and so he has my younger brother buy shit for him like my (laughs) my dad will send him things he things he wants to buy off of amazon and then my brother will be compelled to buy those things here you take on all the risk of this that that's everything you need to know about my dad right there (laughs) uh shall we shall we get this mail call started adam captain i'm sorry to disturb you i'm receiving a code 47 
Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain size only. You know what? I am become my dad because you are taking all of the risk in opening these packages, Ben. I, <laughs> yeah. This sounds I, like a delight. I picked the wrong time to take over being in charge of the P.O. box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one, uh, this first one is from Michael B. in Carmel, Maine. Used a cool T-Rex stamp on this letter. Uh, that's a hell of a stamp right there. I wish it had been an ankylosaur. <laughs> <laughs> On the back of the letter, Michael has helpfully written, not sealed with saliva. Uh, he, he taped this envelope shut. He did not use the lick and seal method. Was that a concern during early COVID? Like, don't be licking them envelopes. You, you don't want to, you don't want to get, get spit virus on you. Like, is that, right. was that the thinking? I don't, yeah. I, I don't remember envelopes things. being a specific warning. Yeah, it's one of these things where I feel like everybody has a real like a different set of information. Almost like there's been some sort of vacuum of actionable information at the top of our society. Right. Uh, but like I was on a Zoom call with some friends and found out that they had all been like getting like Clorox wipes out when they brought their groceries home and wiping their groceries. Yeah. And we never did that in we my house. We did that for a time and then for no reason at all kind of stopped doing it. Yeah. It's not like we got contradictory information. I, I was like worried that I'd been fucking up and I looked into it and the best uh, sources of information I could find said that that is a totally unnecessary thing to do. So I was I was very relieved, but I was also like... I was fucking scared in the moment, and I, I feel like it's... T I'm sure I'm doing things that are not necessary to protect myself. Anyways, uh, I appreciate that no saliva was used to seal this envelope. You know what? If I could just ask something of our viewers going forward is that I would like that written on every package and envelope that's, that gets sent to the P.O. box. I just yeah. want that extra level of assurance. Or if you do use saliva, tell us what species of animals saliva you, you opted for. <laughs> Dear Ben and Adam, please forgive me. I have sent you only one of a thing, and that thing is embarrassing. I've wanted to send you something for a long time, but have had trouble finding something with just the right amount of awkwardness and absurdity to make it memorable. Hmm. It's a commander shirt for your little commander. One of my wife's friends runs an Etsy shop, Cock Couture. <laughs> Oh makes... my god, that's just where my mind went, and then the letter went there immediately after. I've been using Little Commander for a long time. <laughs> it makes hilarious costumes that have come in handy a few times for some fun gifts. I feel a little bad for plugging, but as the work isn't my own, I thought I should give credit. And don't fight over it too much, you can always order another. Hopefully this is good for some laughs, maybe one of your wives will be totally into it, and thank you for the ones you've shared with myself and many others through your podcast. It's always looked forward to on Mondays and has become a de facto way to start my work week. Also a big fan of The Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire. Wow. Someday tours will be allowed again and I can finally venture to a live show. With all gratitude everywhere, Michael B. Thanks, right. Michael <laughs> B., for enjoying all the great shows. The wrapping on this uh, on this commander shirt is in like a, a tissue paper that is imprinted with the Cock Couture logo. Michael B didn't include a third option, and that would have been uh, to just like trade it back and forth. <laughs> yeah, we have we occasion. have shared custody. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is a it is a red shirt with a belt buckle that uh, is kind of a it's it's a you know like a spandex type cloth and uh, I guess you just put that over your dongus when it's in uh, when it's at attention. I have a message for the cockatoo people. Well, where's my camera? <laughs> All right, All right, there it is. You're looking for that little red light, Adam. I know for a fact that you are telling your manufacturing people that they are making napkin holders. <laughs> there is no way you've got a warehouse full of people sewing together uh, fabric fabric cock rings. It's not possible. Mm. How do you have your Monday kickoff meeting when that's when that's what you're telling people you're making? Get yeah. out there and make those cock rings? No. That's not what you're <laughs> I, saying. I, uh, Adam, I, I really wanted to be the person that kept this, but I think I may have to go order one a size smaller off of Cock Couture Etsy yeah. shop. Yeah, that thing, it looks like you could keep a uh, fire extinguisher warm with that thing. <laughs> I, I, I wish this looked like it would fit, but I don't think it will. Is that a beer koozie? <laughs> All right, I'm going to open our next package. You know, you could stick that around the end of your uh, SM7 maybe. Oh. <laughs> Let's see if it fits. You've got a we've got a video stream going today. Let's yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, you got to roll it down, Ben. Yeah. Oh, that actually fits that. pretty nicely on the look SM7. That, that looks so nice. If you, if you are a podcaster or musician who's ever seen an Assure SM7B microphone. This or does not stretch out a ton when you put it around the base of that. Or you just happen to have a great big cock. <laughs> uh, you know exactly what an SM7 <laughs> looks like at the end. Alright, uh, our next package is uh, coming from Oakland, California from a C. Faravar who opted for the entrepreneur-themed stamp. Yeah, that's, hey, that's Ben's hometown. That's Ben's hometown, and it's definitely our buddy Sarus. All right, we got... Oh, man, Sarus Faravar working with his own custom stationery here. A nice a nice thick cardstock with his name in, uh, in the copper plate font up at the top. Hey, Ben and Adam, just wanted to say thanks for all the laughs and a welcome distraction during these crazy times. I've especially been enjoying the TOS episodes. Stay healthy, dudes. And uh, I guess he's referring to the TOS episodes we've been covering on our greatest discovery show. Yeah, sprinkling those in from time to time in the off-season. Look at this. Speaking of crazy times, Sarus has included some face masks. Whoa. These, these are really nice. They, I think they're reversible because they're both they're both Star Trek theme. One says is kind of... Uh, a little bit more colorful than the other, but they both have the Starship Entrepreneur original series edition and uh, and the word Star Trek, but they also got these jazzy back patterns. So if you need to go into a space where exposing your Star Trek nerdery might be to your disadvantage, you could flip it over. See, it's got a couple of straps to wrap around the balls. That's, <laughs> that's handy. Yeah. Thank you, Sarus. Wow, thanks, Sarus. I love all the like. That guy owes us nothing, by the way. Or seriously. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, moving on to the next package. I'm I'm just kind of going up, up and up in in size here. 
This one is from James B. of Austin, Texas. I feel like that's another rule of greatest gen, Ben, is always open the gifts in- Littlest in a, to biggest? In, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I Let's think Let's workshop that a little bit. <laughs> Dear Ben and Adam, a while ago I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole and learned that Star Trek was turned into manga in the late 2000s. With all the new Star Trek being on pause because of the pandemic, I thought y'all could use the extra content. Fair words of warning, some of the stories are on par with some of TNG's first season's rougher moments, but still Star Trek enough, I think you'll enjoy them. Thanks for the pod, it's been a very bright spot for me during these crappy times. <laughs> there's like there's, a there's a bunch of redacted text there. I thought I thought he was going to just end that thought on it's been a bright spot for me during. And I imagined <laughs> he was listening to the show during. Oh. Oh, that during. Uh, it says live long and prosper. PS, if I can, I wanted to shout out to the FOD Folding at Home team, which is in the top 10,000 teams. There's 250,000 total. Wow. Folding at home is that distributed computing deal where people are are processing information about proteins to to find cures for diseases, I believe. I have never even heard about this. What? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Do you remember SETI at home? I do. Oh, it's, so, so it's like that. It's like that, but for uh but for like doing computer analysis of protein structure if I'm not mistaken. There is not a chance that Star Trek manga isn't, like, disturbingly tentacular, right? <laughs> it's just tentacles all the way down. Oh, boy. Uh, so we have a bunch of books here. These are sort of, like, tr uh, the size of, like, a paperback novel, I would say. They're, they're like, more the... Um, you might call them pocketbooks? I guess so, yeah. But you wouldn't oh, carry yeah. money in them. No. Uh, we've got some. We've got one with Kirk. We've got one with Ohura, and we've got one with uh, most of the TOS crew mm. on. And we have a Picard one. These these look. I don't know if these were originally made in Japan or what, but it seems like they. If they were, they've been translated to the extent that they read left they to read right, like a yeah. like a an American book. That's not traditional manga then, right? Yeah, yeah. It's manga in name only. <laughs> <laughs> um, but these are cool. I, I love the I love the art style of these. We may yet need to lean on these for some content. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's what people have been saying about manga for years. It's good in a pinch. <laughs> indeed, Adam. Indeed. All right. Last package. When I need to review my little commander, uh, <laughs> often, often manga will be there as a last <laughs> resort. Yeah, we've got uh, a lot of the equipment we need for some moderately fun times. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a pretty big package here. This is from Emily F. in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, it's been this this box has been taped up with like actual yeah. gaffer's tape. Yeah, which I hope that really sends mean... a message. Yeah, that's like didn't, didn't the Unabomber? <laughs> There's like forty dollars in gaff tape <laughs> wrapping that box. <laughs> Seriously. But uh, what's nice is that when you pull up that tape, it's not gonna mark your cardboard. 
That's true. Something big in here, Adam. Let's start with the letter. The letter has a, uh, <laughs> sealed with a sticker. It's one of those puffy stickers, and it's a kitten wearing a space helmet. Unclear so. if uh, saliva has been used for the rest. <laughs> Some loose-leaf college rule paper here. Dear Ben and Adam, hello, my name is Emily, and I'm a huge fan of your shows, and of course, Star Trek. In my many moods of, quote, boyfriend, clean out your shit, we found this Star Trek The Next Generation game. I'm a person who not only doesn't like clutter, but also not a huge fan of board games. That being said, this trivia game looks like fun, even if just reading the cards and not actually playing. This is also done pre-COVID, FYI. I'm just not great at mailing things. <laughs> so even if it was sealed with saliva, we have nothing to fear. Good. Uh, Thank you for this entertaining thing that you guys do. It really does help a lot of people's mental state, especially now. Also, a huge thank you to my girl Morgan, who turned me on to you guys. We love discussing your, we love discussing your episodes. Now you had Hope it right you- the first time. We love <laughs> discussing your episodes. Hope you have some use for this game. Thank you, Emily. Hey, Morgan. Good job by you. Uh, yeah, telling a friend? Yeah, no one does that. That's great. <laughs> Look at this. This is a huge board game. This is like... It looks heavy. Yeah, it is heavy. It's <laughs> it's probably like 50% bigger than any other board game box I've ever seen. That looks like wow. a game that I might actually play instead of Settlers of Catan or some other bullshit. Like, <laughs> it seems like you could sit right down and play that game instead of spend three hours going over the rules. Wow, there are lots of parts here. <laughs> There's a scenario book. This is the thing there's you gotta like, put together? There's like isolinear rods included. Oh, that's fun. Are there little ships? There's a box full of crayons? <laughs> why, why are there crayons? Was that a factory sealed game? Like, are the crayons used? Maybe one or two of them have been used, but I don't okay. think that they've been used much. Yeah, there's a huge deck of cards. It's a lot of Trek trivia. This maybe this maybe has to be an episode of uh, of the Greatest Discovery where we where we play this board game with each other. Is there a way to turn it into a drinking game? Oh, I'm sure we could find that. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Let's do it. Let's book it. I don't see any little ships, unfortunately, but we do have these cool sector maps <laughs> that. Uh, there's, uh, I guess there's four of these captain's displays. Wow. Look wow. at those maps. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, these Emily. Are, and thanks to everyone who sent something in. If, uh, if, if you'd like to send something in for us to open up on the show, uh, we do this, I don't know, every couple of months maybe. Yeah. And uh, you can, uh, if you write to us at drunkshimoda at gmail.com, uh, we will send you the P.O. box. Maybe. And you might go to a post office. Well, Adam, uh, do you want to get into our episode today? It's a big one. Really is. It's it's not only the end of season six, but it's the end of a beloved character. It is season six, episode 26, Tears of the Prophets. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Is it? gratitude festival time again already it hardly <laughs> it hardly seems like a year has passed ben it it sneaks up on me 
every every time i don't feel like i bought any of my gratitude day gifts i just am so fucking sick of the war on gratitude day (laughs) uh, thing everybody's always going and saying happy holidays instead of peldor joy like i'm fucking a criminal for celebrating my holiday (laughs) i know god and that's really what this episode is about yeah I think that that's maybe that's like the 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 first bullet point when you start describing this episode is the war on yeah. <laughs> gratitude festival. Yeah, and and this time there are deaths. <laughs> <laughs> the Cisco and Kira visit the Bajoran shrine on the station thing. It's not something that we get too often, and I feel like it's also very unusual for it to be the beginning of an episode. Right. I feel like getting to Shrine is something that happens a lot on episodes, but I think that it it says something that we start at the Shrine this time. It's a new spin on an old favorite. Usually people are just incidentally walking in there to see what's mm-hmm. happening. Uh, this time, uh, it looks like Kira is using it as a place to avoid Odo, because what the hell is Odo going to do at the Shrine? Yeah. Odo is in the doghouse right now because he <laughs> arrested a Vedic for uh, for raising money. What was it? For people affected by the war or something? I think it had to do with the flood because remember when uh, oh, right. when Cisco smashed the, the tablet. All Who, of- me? <laughs> Cisco may have smashed me, but I was glued back together. I'm a running character now. <laughs> I told you, you'd either be eating fruit or dying in a flood. I don't know which one. (laughs) Why doesn't Odo arrest me? It's kind of my fault the whole thing happened, isn't it? Please arrest the tablet character. That's who needs to go to prison. (laughs) This is something that you and I know a lot about. Our wives being angry at us for the work that we do. I told you when we hooked up, baby, that you were going to have to share me. And... I have to say, this is going to be one of the few times I side with Odo against Kira about a thing, because he's just doing his job. Who else uh, was just doing their job, Adam? Hmm. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Really put your foot in that one. I mean... Like he's right. There are station regulations against what the aesthetic was doing. There's a gold line that separates Bajoran <laughs> security from the people of the station. <laughs> You'll never understand the risks I have to take. Yeah, I think we need to defund Odo. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at what he spent his money on that. That fucking jungle gym in his apartment yeah Yeah, a bunch of extra large executive office toys basically give me a break he doesn't need money he's using all his unearned overtime pay for that there are people there are people living in the halls of the promenade right now that could use a little help yeah Odo is making that fatal flaw, though, again, that you and I have made, which is trying to explain your actions to someone who is not even trying to hear that (laughs) and instead just wants to process their anger for a period of time that that we don't know about. It takes a very, very long, or at least, I mean, I'm an idiot, so it took me a very long time to learn that you can't talk somebody out of their feelings about something yeah i still don't know that yeah that goes for everywhere and everyone 
Right. So Kira is pissed. Odo's in the doghouse. Um, but uh, but happier stuff is taking place elsewhere on the station. Admiral Beltbuckle has arrived and is uh, here to pin a medal on Cisco's chest. Ben, it's the Domies, the Dominion War Awards. <laughs> and up for the category of coming up with an insane plan and then going through with it is Benjamin Lafayette Cisco. Yeah. The Christopher Pike Medal. Yeah, pretty great, right? Yeah. Love hearing that name. Love thinking about friend of the podcast, Anson Mount. Do you think Christopher Pike was the first person to receive it posthumously? I think it's probably one of those medals with a uh, with a magnetized backing. You just like thump, put it thump. on his <laughs> put it on his chair. I mean, that's how Starfleet does all of their pips and badges, right? It would stand to reason that they did the same thing with their medals. The the problem with sticking the magnetized medal on Christopher Pike's mobility chair is that one time someone stuck it on top of the light mm. and then no one could tell that Pike was talking to them for like two weeks. <laughs> we recently did an episode of Greatest Discovery about Commander Data and kind of look, like taking a survey of sort of the some of the most important beats in his arc over the course of all of TNG and the TNG films. And Measure of a Man, at one point, he gets out his his little box-o uh, commendations. And this made me wonder if the Christopher Pike medal was among the things Data had won. That would make a ton of sense. Like, of course he would. Verified. Lieutenant Commander Data. Current assignment, USS Enterprise. Starfleet Command Decoration for Valor. And Your Honor, we'll stipulate to all of this. All goes out the window and Commander Riker demonstrates that he can be switched off. Yeah, that's a bad moment for Data. Cisco can't be switched off, though. He wants They want to switch him on, as a matter of fact. The, uh, the Starfleet brass have decided that they've been on a defensive posture for far too long, and uh, they've finally heard what Cisco has to say. They want to start punching noses. They want to take the fight to Cardassia. Commander Belt buckles like uh, they they keep pushing us and we keep falling back. The line must be drawn here. Yada yada yada. <laughs> smash, ships, smash, smash, smash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> you you fill in the details. I'll be uh, I'll be nowhere to be seen for the rest of this. <laughs> I don't know how if you're Admiral Belt buckle. You are, as an actor, constantly like grabbing for it, like sticking your thumbs on top of it, mm-hmm. putting a leg up on a chair, and like <laughs> and like leaning into it. Oh it, man! It what draws if they the cast eyes. a guy with like a cool Texas accent as Admiral Beltbuckle? Boy, you have got the brass. Do you know what the odds are on a five-card Charlie? It'd be amazing. It captures the imagination in a way few other costume choices have. It's yeah. all I can see whenever he's in a scene. What does he do when he's not, like, he pats Ben Sisko on the back and is like, hey, like, vote of confidence, you've been given the job of coming up with a plan for invading Cardassia. You're great at these long odds plans, and we want you to do this one also. (laughs) Anyways, and then what does he do for the rest of the time? Like, what is Admiral Beltbuckle's job? That is exceedingly unclear. (laughs) He's he's one of those uh, authority figures that, that like you always want someone who's just a delegator, yeah. and he is sort of like the the ultimate delegator. 
Yeah, the least micromanagey boss yeah. in history. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go invade this planet. All right, bye. And also, you come up with how. <laughs> it's amazing. This makes Ben Sisko very happy. He's ready. To, he's been ready to go back on offense for quite a while. Mm-hmm. After our opening credits sequence, we catch up with Dax and Worf in Quark's bar. They've they've gone over their allotted time in the Hollow Suites with Batleth practice, and they don't even have any bloody cuts or broken arms to to show for it. Bashir has been sitting there waiting and he was like hoping at least he'd get a bit of a show when they came out. No wounds to the bladder for either of you, I see. <laughs> oh, well. Is the only entrance and exit to the hollow suite that, that circular staircase? I, th- I gotta imagine you can go out onto the second level of the promenade, right? If you're Quark, are you are you missing the fun of a fireman's pole, mm. given how many people go upstairs and downstairs at Quark's bar? There may be a liability thing there, because if people are getting really shwasty on your Sumerian sunsets or whatever. I don't know. It, it seems like a metal circular staircase would be just as dangerous as a fire pole. That's true. I used to live in an apartment that uh, had a metal circular staircase, and it... Uh, it was terrifying every time I used it. <laughs> yeah, that'll fuck you up. Bashir and Quark are incredulous because Worf and Dax have been using their hollow sweet time not for fighting, not for fucking, but for talking. You can do that anywhere, guys. Yeah, you don't need a hollow su- <laughs> Do you think that like Skull Guy sits down with them and like yeah. patiently <laughs> listens? <laughs> Weird skeleton. I've about this too. How can you bring a baby into a world as bleak as this? <laughs> Is that a responsible choice at, th- at this point in history to reproduce? It turns out, like one of the consequences of Bashir's Vic Fontaine program is that every character in the Hollow Suite is a lot like Vic Fontaine. Hey, Daddy O, I noticed you seem to have a bit of a long face. Why why don't you tell your problems to me and I'll see if I can help you with them. I'm a terrible, terrifying skullhead man. (laughs) Hey, Worf, I I mean, not not for this time. I'll let it slide this time. But next time you really need to enter through the rear entrance. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Skull guy also has very retrograde ideas about... (laughs) This this battle jungle is also in the 50s. It's fucked up, but it's it's just how the program was set up. I don't make the rules. I'm just doing my job, just following orders, etc., etc. Worf likes to keep things on the down low. Dax uh, has had 10 lifetimes to uh, <laughs> to break herself of that of that instinct. Uh, she just lets it all out in the open. She puts it out into the street. They're thinking about having yeah. kids. They're thinking about making a baby and uh, poker faces are not how I would describe what happens with Quark and Bashir. Yeah, a couple of spit takes at each other. (laughs) It's not news that they're glad of, but it also is something that Bashir is going to have to get involved with because there there is a challenge, which is that Dax and Worf are different species. It's true. There's a couple of great big laughs about just what that baby's going to look like. Yeah. Fun. Quark calls Worf a Klingon psychopath mm-hmm. in, uh, <laughs> in this moment. I thought that that was, that was kind of an interesting insult. Is a They're... Klingon psychopath 
even scarier than a regular psychopath? Don't you think there should be more open antipathy between Quark and Worf just at all times? They should fucking hate each other. It should be nothing but insults back and forth. Yeah, that would be great. They're a little too low-key for my taste. That mutual respect shouldn't be there. Elsewhere in the wardroom, Cisco is briefing Martok on, on his great plan, a plan he's had a night to draw up, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he lays it on him with belt buckle watching. There's a, conveniently a weak spot in the Jem'Hadar defenses of Cardassia. Yeah. Uh, it, there's only five squadrons in this particular area, and that is asking for trouble. This is the Chintaka system, and uh, they, they feel like this is enough of a weak point that they could punch through it and go right on to Cardassia Prime. That's the thing it. about Cardassians, it's that they're they're formidable enemies with a weak Chintaka. <laughs> Yeah, that's why so many of them grow beards, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> this is only going to work if they can convince the Romulans to get involved. And, and you know, any time a Klingon is in a room that Romulans are mentioned in, they have to speak up about what dishonorable pieces of shit the Romulans are. They are without honor. But Admiral Beltbuckle and Cisco are pretty sure that that's how it's going to have to go. So, you know, Martok cheers up. Uh, pretty quickly and, uh, you know, pronounces his confidence in their victory. This would have been a great scene for a, a angle on Ben Sisko. And he's like, God, they better not send Vreenak. <laughs> Vreenak's dead, of course. Yeah. But like, can he be sure? It's yeah, always it's a chess a, game with the Romulans. Yeah. You can't trust every report. They get out of the Romulan Empire. They, uh, it is Renak, and then they they angle back on Francisco, and he's like, "It's a fake." He <laughs> <laughs> said it. He said it. Why do they keep ringing that bell on the show? I, yeah, I don't know. This is something about it really appeals to the showrunners. <laughs> uh, this is a pretty funny smash cut because we finish them like slapping each other on the backs about their great plan to take over Cardassia. Uh, to Cardassia, where Wayun and Damar are talking about how vulnerable the Chintaka system has been right. left. And Damar's like, not as vulnerable as it looks. We actually have this great defense system set up over there. Nobody knows about it. You remember that foolproof plan of, of mining the wormhole? That never <laughs> in a million years anyone could stop that kind of defense? Well, this is sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah, the the they have learned from their enemy. Right, they're uh, starting to see eye to eye on this issue when uh, Demar's aide de camp rushes in and says that they have a rather urgent visitor, and in comes Gul Dukat, who I guess got there via the shuttlecraft he stole from <laughs> Cisco. Like you got to believe that's how he's getting around, right? Yeah. Last time we saw him, he's now going by Jake Dukat. Stay calm, Jake. We'll get you back. God, the inside of that shuttle is going to smell pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, he has a plan, though. He says, uh, listen, I know that I'm not like being hailed as a, as a conquering hero coming in here, uh, but I'm not that broken up about the death of my daughter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I've actually I, gotten into antiques. Uh, it's yeah. given me something to do. And I'm just wondering if I could kind of go through your uh, Ark of the Covenant warehouse and, uh, and and look for a particular thing that was stolen from Bajor when, uh, when the occupation was still on. That belongs in a museum! Weiyun, not going to be my Shimoda, but deserves special recognition for being that guy every time Dukat walk, walks in a room. <laughs> He's like, this fucking guy. Like... <laughs> I cannot believe DeMar isn't kicking him out the second he walks in. And this happens constantly. Yeah. Wayun fucking hates him. It's amazing how much uh, power Ducat has still over DeMar. It's amazing how permissive Wayun is. Like, this is a version of the Admiral Belt Buckle problem where the delegating of, of the strategy to DeMar is is resulting in this sort of situation where he's like, Wayun could run this show and yeah. and he's not. He's too permissive. He's just allowing Damar and for some reason Dukat to walk all over him. <laughs> yeah, I think um it's interesting because like the scene starts with Wayun kind of like thinking he's caught Damar in a in a slip up mm-hmm. with the Chintaka system, which Damar like Demar is demonstrating himself to be quite capable of actually doing this, but it's also just that Wayun hasn't been focused on this and doesn't and doesn't know, right? Like that that they have this defense grid. Are we supposed to feel sorry for Demar? I don't know. I he's sort of in a terrible situation. Yeah, yeah. Because if because if Ducat gets back on top, that means Demar gets pushed down one rung on the org chart. I mean, or executed. <laughs> I think uh, I think he and Ducat are friends, though. There's, there's a fun bit of back and forth when we go from the wardroom to Cardassia to back to the wardroom with this meeting yeah. with the Romulans. It's great. Yeah. This Romulan senator is uh, pretty mean to Martok. Mm-hmm. This is of- a real McLaughlin group. Issue one. Because this is a bunch of people on all different sides of the political spectrum right. arguing with each other and mostly just insulting each other. The Romulans are always drinking. Have you noticed this? This is like a Brad Pitt thing in, in Ocean's <laughs> Eleven. Like anytime there's a Romulan on Deep Space Nine, they're drinking something. I liked this Romulan quite a bit. Yeah, me too. He's not trying to take any guff from Martok, that's for sure. Really, Captain, I see no reason why I should sit here and allow this Klingon jackal to call me a coward. Despite what a bad diplomat Martok is, they do manage to talk the Romulans into joining the fight. And that's great news, because if they don't have the Romulans, they basically don't have a a plan. What's strange about what is being discussed in this meeting, to me, is that... What we learn is very interesting. Like, the Jem'Hadar reproduce faster than they can be destroyed, and that's a problem. And so they talk about the need to destroy the shipyards, which seems to make some sense. Yeah. But where were those shipyards in this episode ever? That (laughs) was never a target. Yeah. Are they at Cardassia? Is that the idea? I don't know, but they didn't really tie A to B in this yeah. in this strategy. Maybe B happens in the beginning of season seven. That's a great point, Adam. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. This doesn't really feel like a part one episode, though, does it? No. 
No, it sure doesn't. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pair. A bucket. A pair. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. Later in uh, Vic Fontaine's club, Bashir and Quark are being serenaded by a withering version of Here's to the Loser, sung directly at them by Vic Fontaine. <laughs> Vic Fontaine is the, the original troll. <laughs> I think I, this isn't Vic Fontaine's fault. No one else is in the club. Yeah. I guess that's the song you sing to the two two paid ticket holders, right? Here's to the losers. Bless them all. Fun stuff. These guys are these guys are real upset about the I mean, it's one thing when the girl you have a crush on gets married. Still waiting out that marriage. What are you talking about? It's another when she has a kid with the guy. I think. Yeah, it's pretty much over at that point. <laughs> uh, if we're talking about your chances. Yeah. Oh, well. Are Quark and Bashir friends? Is the, I think the only reason that they're together is their shared affection for Dax, right? Yeah. It's a kind of a something about Mary type friendship where yeah, it is. They're, they're united in their mutual crush. So united that they don't view each other as competition either. Yeah. In an interesting way. I love Mary, man. Quark really likes Vic Fontaine, though. Yeah, big fan. This is right at Quark's speed, right? The 1950s Vegas stuff. Oh, yeah. He, he and right Vic Fontaine talk a lot about uh, how they agree about their feelings about women. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of social issues in common. Right. Uh, at the same time, in La Familia de Cisco's quarters... <laughs> For some reason, Jake is assuming he's going along on the invasion of Cardassia mission. He assumes based on his status as a reporter for the Federation News Service, which seems like a good pretext for going, but not uh, like a good pretext for going on the ship your father commands. Uh Like, I think that there's maybe a, like... I don't know what, what the standards of objectivity are in journalism in the 24th century, but I, I do think that, uh, like, by today's standards, it would seem strange if uh, if you were, like, reading a New York Times article by, like, Kevin Petraeus about David Petraeus. But, Dad, we're talking about the invasion of Cardassia, a savage thrust into the very heart of the Dominion. I think the thing that does not serve, for some reason, Jake's storyline about being uh, a press person is that it isn't like a pillar of the Federation in the way that like the press is a pillar of American democracy. So there right. is not, there isn't, there isn't Jake saying it's important for me to tell this story and it's also being like buttressed by an authority figure for the press telling Ben Sisko uh, important Federation stories need to be told. This is why. Like, there's yeah. never, ever, ever a reference to the press's importance in Star Trek. And that's what makes, whenever Jake, like, uses his job as a reason to do something like this, I always feel like he's lying. I always feel like he's making up a job that doesn't exist because we never see his workplace relationships. Yeah. Outside of Deep Space Nine, the only other press thing I can think of in Star Trek is in Generations when they're christening the new Enterprise B and it seems like the press is treated as 
a real fucking annoyance by everyone in Starfleet. Uh, Captain Kirk, just a few uh, more questions, Why don't we give sir? the captain a chance to look around first? There would be a, an interesting story to tell in Jake like putting out a piece of news that he discovered about Deep Space Nine or about his father that was an embarrassment or right. made Cisco's job much harder because a truth he wanted to keep concealed got out. And having built some tension like that, I think it should, like season, scenes like this would feel a little bit more impactful, but they never, they never took that opportunity. That's a relief. But you're still not going, sir. I think that they just like had this idea that Jake was going to be a writer, but never defined it any further than that. Because there's like novelist Jake and reporter Jake, and it doesn't seem like they seem to be. Uh, they like, seem to work in tandem, and it doesn't really matter right. which which kind of Jake we get from episode yeah. to episode. That doesn't seem to have any significance. No. Also, it seems like the Cisco's have really have really just completely given up on food in this episode because this dinner looks like they got like 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 they ordered from a pizza place but they got pasta and salad and not pizza oh yeah that's always going to be a disappointment <laughs> that is not a good looking meal that they're having pizza place salad is the worst salad at this point in time i wondered if jake would have uh bridge credentials the way cassidy yates clearly did <laughs> uh, no surprise, he does. Yeah. Very permissive bridge on the little D. This is the scene where Cisco gets a little visit from the prophets who have a warning for him. The Cisco is of Bejor. It is dangerous to walk a different path. In a way that's fairly unprofit like, they're explicit with their desire for him not to go on this mission. Yeah. What they aren't explicit about is why, but but they're actually telling him what to do. Well, prophets never say exactly why. They like to keep it a little bit mysterious. That's what's fun about them. I'd recommend not confronting the Cisco. <laughs> he might smash you. <laughs> that guy's crazy. Take it from me. Look at all these scars. <laughs> you know how much epoxy it took to put me back together? I'll never be the same. <laughs> Take me on Antiques Roadshow. See if I appraise for full value. All they're going to do is say, well, if he was in perfect condition, he'd be worth this. But at that, he's worth this. Let me tell you, another term for worthless is sentimental value. <laughs> Later uh, in the wardroom, Admiral Beltbuckle makes everyone aware of the orbital weapon platform in a meeting and Cisco makes Admiral Beltbuckle aware of his profit visions. Mm -hmm. I might have kept these to yourself. Like this is the eve of a very important mission, Ben Cisco. I wouldn't had I wouldn't just casually drop the idea that I that I had a, a vision and not only that, it was a vision that was telling me explicitly not to do the thing that we're set, setting out to do. Yeah. I think it's interesting that he has to kind of code switch when he talks to the admiral yeah. about them. He he catches himself mid mid referring to them as the prophets and calls them the wormhole aliens instead. Yeah. And Admiral Ross is like, "Listen, Ben, you've you've been trying to be both emissary and Starfleet for a long time, and it's time to put up or shut up. You can't be both. You have to pick." 
if I wanted to put in the effort of hiring a new captain, I mean, <laughs> I would have done it a long time ago after that last incident. <laughs> I'm just going to say it right now. If I was Cisco in this situation and it was between embracing being the emissary or getting up for a 5 a.m. flight the next day, I would embrace yeah. being the emissary. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are taking the brown eye to, to Cardassia Prime. Yeah, pretty rough. It's a frustrating scene for them both because Belt Buckle is asking practical questions mm-hmm. that Cisco is ans- answering mystically. Right. And it is very unsatisfying for both. But ultimately, uh, while he doesn't say the words, Ben Cisco chooses Starfleet, he does not do the wharf and pull off his comm badge and stick it on the table. No. Back on Cardassia, Ducat has found his artifact. Behold, the key to victory. It's like a garden gnome in a box. Oh, I see you remain skeptical. And uh, he sets it up, he lights some candles, and he does a little seance right in front of them. And he breaks this lawn gnome in half, and it's got a fart inside of it, Adam. And it goes right inside Gul yeah. Ducat. Yeah. It's Pa I mean- Ducat, Ben. <laughs> He's got the red eyes and everything. Keep that guy away from me! Everybody's always breaking apart stuff and finding farts inside, and I'm one of the things that got broken! The red eye effect is really cool and scary. Especially with Gul'dukat. Yeah, it really pops against his creepy gray skin, I think. Yeah, and... Same kind of thing that they did with Jake, right? When he was... When he had the Pa Wraith inside him. It's true, but the the difference is that I think, and I think even Mark Alamo would say this, Mark Alamo has crazier looking eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like uh, definitely not a slight on Sirach Lofton by any yeah. means. Sirach Lofton's just a classically handsome guy. Right. He was not cast in the show for crazy eyes. Yeah. No. Alamo Rain, come to fall. Alamo Rain, come to fall. In Odo's office, we return to the deep sea storyline, which is Odo and Kira are fighting again. And uh, Kira, at this moment, does not know that they've been fighting. In a classic, have we or haven't we been fighting switcheroo? (laughs) (laughs) That has just become normal life. Yeah, I mean, this is Odo's first relationship, so he is still in the how do you do this phase, I guess. Right. Which I... I guess you have to write this, but it's like the episode of TNG where Data has a girlfriend and is like completely inept at it. When you're in law enforcement, you can't take any kind of criticism ever. (laughs) (laughs) Your position of authority is such a fragile thing that if if you (laughs) subject yourself to any amount of scrutiny, it could all collapse like a house of cards. And people could realize what a sham it all has been. Kira's like, we're not fighting, babe. And we haven't been. Odo is very surprised to hear this. Also very surprised to hear that Kira wants to spend their last night on the station together because she's going on the invasion mission. Yeah, so they uh, presumably go find the hybrid mattress that they share where one side is memory foam and the other side is 
a basin. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those hospital beds made for pooping. Yeah, it's a sleep number bed where you can set the firmness on on either side, but you can also push a button to turn one side into a bucket. <laughs> This was a moment that made me think about why, you know, Kira is is kind of a de facto Starfleet officer. She's not. She's not a Starfleet officer, but she gets to go on these missions. Later on, she gets put in command of the ship. Why isn't the Federation slash Starfleet as interested in Odo the way that they were clearly interested in Data as a unique asset they hmm. never give him the pitch. They never they never want to groom him for for missions like this. He never he never goes on shit like this. Yeah. I mean he's been on the Defiant a bunch, but it doesn't seem like he's like at the controls ever on, you know what I th- on the bridge. It's fucked up. Like why wouldn't you put him on the little D knowing that the Jem'Hadar would not attack the little D if he were on board, right? Like wouldn't that be kind of a cheat code to any sort of offensive mission? The Demidar are in a tough spot with that because I think they probably have to assume that he's on the little D anytime they encounter it. Yeah. Right? Because they, they don't have any way of knowing. They should just, uh, like that Bajoran sail ship, they should just like fly the Odo flag that's actually Odo <laughs> every time they go into battle. <laughs> uh, I don't breathe air. I'll be just fine. It's a little chilly out here, but I can handle it. We get a moment in the hallway on the way to the little D as uh, as the bulk of the crew disembarks Deep Space Nine. Jadzia Dax is being left behind in command of the station. So she and Worf have to have a romantic smooch. And it's the romantic smooch of two people who have decided to start trying. Just remember when you get back, we have a lot of work to do. I don't consider that work. Worf full-on, like, sailor kisses Dax in Times Square style (laughs) in the hallway, like, swinging her around and dipping her. You would think, like, if we're collecting stories for the Federation News Service, a feel-good moment like that would be something that Jake would want to capture with a hollow recorder. Do you think Worf blasted in a couple of test tubes uh, before leaving on this mission, just in case he doesn't come back? <laughs> a warrior stockpile. You know those test tubes would look like those make-at-home popsicle forms, like that you stick two sticks in? <laughs> Really makes you think. We get Garrick in this episode, who mm-hmm. uh, who chooses now to pop up on the bridge. This is a momentous occasion. Yeah, his utility here is uh, is a little unclear. He's out for revenge, like like Ducat. It seems like they're the mirrors. Yeah, and and I think that it's it's kind of like I don't know. It felt to me like this was an episode where they're like, well, let's get almost every recurring character we can back. Right. I guess they leave out like Rom and Lita and Cassidy, but but you know almost everybody that shows up frequently is in it, this one. It's gonna be a long time before we see Cassidy Yates on the Little D. I think. I mean, even <laughs> though things might be cool between she and Cisco. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to invite that invite that kind of drama into your life. So the fleet pulls out. Wayun and Damar are, you know, at one of their tactical computers talking about whether or not the 
defense grid that uh, that they've put so much confidence in is going to be ready or not. And uh, it's, look, it's looking not great. Pains me to say this, but you Cardassians are proving to be quite a disappointment. It's a real touch-and-go moment, but when the fleet actually pulls up to, uh, to Chintaka, these things, uh, they appear to be offline, but after a brief skirmish with Jebhadar, the grid wakes up and starts pulverizing the fleet, and it is bad. That thing's operational! Our recruiters can't repel firepower of that magnitude! This is a pretty fun slash scary callback to a way of fighting that the Jem'Hadar have used before, the the idea of kamikaze tactics yeah. on the Klingon ships. And it is rugged how only the Klingon ships seem to be targeted. And they are just like like a piranha eating a feeder goldfish. Like it's just parts in space. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a real mess. And it quickly expands to the rest of the fleet when the grid actually goes mm-hmm. goes up and we see a lot of ships get taken out in this sequence and it's it's bad i was really worried for a moment because a ship that looks just like the hood gets a big hole punched through its saucer fortunately it was the uss valley forge right the the uss hood was far from this conflict ben the hood does participate in this invasion does it really because I, I was confused too. I, I figured it wasn't the hood because ping pong balls didn't come out of the hull breach. <laughs> <laughs> but on memory alpha, it says the hood participates in this battle. So maybe that was another wow. hood class starship that that got ripped open the way it did. Yeah, I like this orbital defense system. They really kick a lot of ass. They're hard to kill. Every planet should have one. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would have happened to the Borgs if they had shown up and found this? I wonder why people didn't buy the Echo Papa 607. Like, that should be the callback. They're all right. Echo Papas out here. <laughs> Versatile, powerful, and easy to use. The 607 does it all. That would have been good. So, uh, back on Deep Space Nine, great news for Dax, the fertility drugs that Dr. Bashir has been prescribing to her under duress are working great they don't taste good though <laughs> yeah really, that's really too can't bad. get really can't get used to the taste says dax <laughs> and bashir is like oh you'll get used to it <laughs> you can learn to love almost any flavor <laughs> dax is uh is is totally buoyant by the news it's yeah. it's really gonna happen for her and uh she thinks doing no small part that it may be because uh, because Kira said a little prayer at the Bajoran Shrine for her. Yeah, so Dax is going to go pay her respects, and uh, she heads to the shrine. She's about to open up the orb arc when uh, all the candles in the room are blown out, and Dukat materializes behind her and shoots some red paw energy at her and knocks her to the floor. They really put Terry Farrell up into the harness. She's up there flopping around quite a bit before getting dropped. I wondered about this moment because in the vision that Cisco had, it was the case is made that if he goes, he's, you know, putting Bajor in danger. Would he have been able to stop this if it had been him standing in the Bajoran Shrine? I don't get the sense that he wields any, like, energy power 
No, I guess not. I mean, if it's anyone's fault, it's probably uh, it's probably Worf and Dax for wanting to have children. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they fucked this up. Yeah. I mean, but if also, also if Dax hadn't been there, it doesn't feel like her death was like a necessary condition of Gul Dukat turning the orb dark, right? I mean, I'm saying this as someone who had not seen this episode and didn't know this was going to happen. But like when she's dropped on the ground, I was not certain that she was dead, were you? No, I don't think so. So once she's dropped, the the Pa-Wraith leaves Dukat's body, goes into the orb and turns it black. And then after that, it looks like Dukat's back to normal because his eyes aren't red anymore. Yeah, his eyes go normal. And then we cut to Wormhole, which opens up and then kind of like sucks out of existence. And we cut back to the little D where Cisco is saying that he feels uh, a great disturbance as though millions of voices suddenly screamed out in unison and were suddenly silenced. And Kira's like, where did you dig up this old fossil? <laughs> the voices were all really vague about their pronouncements, though. <laughs> like, couldn't really understand what they yeah. were trying to say. They were screaming out, not necessarily in terror. Like, that feels too specific. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those it, it feels like a medical emergency in a really fun way because Cisco's kind of crippled here and Kira has to take command yeah he has to be taken from the bridge by for some reason Jake um, Dukat's out of there he, he disappears from Deep Space Nine and we're in a very uncertain place morn sweet morn morn you hear everybody morn the little D has figured out that these orbital defense systems are all powered by a single energy source on a small moon in orbit of Chintaka. It is protected by an energy shield, which is generated from the nearby moon. And so they've got to they've got to take that out, which uh, at first doesn't work great. But the the workaround is we can like use the deflector array to project a. Federation warp signature on the rock and it will trick the defense robots to shoot their own energy source. And so that's what they've got to try to put into effect. It finally works. They they win the day. And and I guess they are going to go back to the station now. Like the, D, the little D doesn't continue on to Cardassia at this point. Yeah, this part of the episode story is a little bit unclear. I think it relies on a commercial break. Yeah. A little heavy. Yeah. Yeah, it feels messy, right? Like, I feel like there is a, a fun way to have all these threads interact with each other and make each one feel more momentous because of it. One element that really caught my attention here, Ben, is that, like, Martok says that ground troop transport can begin after yeah. they've broken through these defenses. Is that how war happens in the 24th century it's going to be a fucking bloodbath down there yeah if they just beam millions yeah. of klingons down to the surface of these planets yeah it's going to be awful i don't understand why that's the plan yeah you gotta soften up those targets ben back on cardassia Ducat radios back to Damar and Wayun, who are pretty pissed because <laughs> Wayun having put all his chips on red eye Ducat. <laughs> Mm. 
<laughs> has lost big, you know. They don't have their orbital defense system. The wormhole seems to be closed, and that means no getting more Jem'Hadar from the G-Quad. This is a disaster. All of this has gone catastrophically bad, as far as Wayun can tell. But Dukat is pretty is pretty happy with how it went. But I assure you, we still achieved a great victory. It's so frustrating for Wayun and Damar to talk to, D- to Dukat because Wayun and Damar are big picture, and Dukat is tiny picture. Was Dukat on his shuttle? I think so. Yeah, because he's he's got like Elkar's computers behind him in the in these shots. When he beams into the Bajoran shrine, it's it's Cardassian beaming though, isn't it? Which I thought it was weird. Jem'Hadar beaming. That's a that's a continuity error, whatever that is, because he's supposed to be on that runabout. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Anyways. The uh, emissary returns to the station and finds a very upset and worried Bajoran public, personified chiefly in a little girl who <laughs> tells him that uh, he has to find a way to get the to get the profits back. All the orbs have gone dark. Yeah. What do you do for a black orb? Hmm. No amount of varnish is going to bring back its luster. <laughs> In the infirmary, uh, Bashir has come out of the OR, and uh, he said the the operation was a success. Dax has been lobotomized. <laughs> Soon she'll begin a new life on Kronos. And uh, the jars of urine? Oh, we'll hang on to those. The ankylosaur is the only thing he was able to save. Uh, he's not able to do anything for Jedzia, which makes it sound like Jedzia is dead. But yeah. then Cisco walks into the OR where she's talking to Worf and asking, like, went the day well, Captain? I found the scene very affecting, and I didn't think that I would. I, I think it's because it came as such a surprise. Like, it's such a bracing surprise because yeah. you think there's no way she's going to die and then smash cut to to Bashir uh pulling off his latex gloves and shooting them in the trash going, <laughs> I did my best. Never gets any easier. Anyways, <laughs> the the thing that the thing that shouldn't have worked was the scream towards Stovacor, and it really worked. And I cannot believe that that callback, like the first time you see it in TNG, it is it's a laugh out loud. Yeah. yeah, it's absurd. I wondered if just not cutting to the god shot is why it wasn't so. as silly. I think so too. I think it, I think it's in the angle. The power's in the angle. Yeah. RSVP Jedzia Dax. Cisco's like, well, uh, we already have a torpedo flag combination ready to set up. So it's a good thing we didn't put that one away from the Sound of Her Voice episode. <laughs> really getting value for those props. Yeah. Really bracing last like eight minutes of this episode, I feel like. Yeah. It really moves quickly through a lot of shit. Some of its power is that is how alone Cisco wants to be. Like he eulogizes Dax privately. Yeah. He goes off on his own to process. Right. Like, and and that's a very strange thing. Like he is always someone who has had Dax's ear. Like he's always consulted with people. He's always telling belt buckle more than he should, you know? And for him to just sort of clam up, it's different. It feels like a lot. He yeah. and for some reason Jake head back to Earth, and uh, he's taking an indefinite 
leave of absence. And we know that it's indefinite because when Kira goes to the office that is now hers with Odo, she discovers that he has taken his baseball with him. He took his ball and went home, Adam. If you're watching this show for the first time live, do you think that this is a show that also does not bring Ben Sisko back for the seventh season? Like, Boy, if, I think you have to ask yourself, right? I think that's by killing Dax in this episode. I think, I think you could also assume fairly safely that maybe things are going to change a lot in season seven, and maybe Sisko is one of them. Yeah, one of the things that changes. Or maybe season seven is just about him being a prep cook at his father's restaurant. The end of this episode is one of my favorite endings to a Star Trek episode. That super long dissolve to the alley yeah. where he's cleaning and debearding clams, which his dad has always called the bivalve trash of the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the, the long contemplation of this. Yeah. The ambiguity of whether or not he's ever going to go back. That giant bucket of clams. Like, he's not going to be done with this job for a long time. The clams tell us so. They do indeed, Adam. But tell me, did you like this episode? You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it. It is hard for me to like the episode knowing what we know about why Terry Farrell does not return in season seven. Yeah. Because uh, I think the episode is strong in a lot of parts, but when I really stop to think about it, this is a huge moment in all of Star Trek. When you kill a legacy character, yeah, you really need to to give it a ton of thought. And it does not look like Dax's death was given the thought that would be commensurate for killing a character who has been a part of a show for 150 episodes. I was trying to come up with comparisons in Star Trek, and all mm-hmm. I came up with was uh, Spock died after three seasons and two movies, like the first time. That's about 75 eps. Right. Tasha Yar died after 22 episodes. Data died after seven seasons and four movies. And those are like the big character deaths, right? Am I missing anyone? We probably are, but those are the ones that, that came first to mind. Yeah. And I, I feel like in every one of those instances, those characters were... Like, I'm not saying Data's death and Nemesis counts. I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> Data's death in, in Picard season one as like a rightful and righteous way to pay tribute to a character. Yeah. And I just... It remains to be seen whether or not this is going to be called back a bunch in season seven, but I did not feel like it was commensurate, that it was that it was equal to Dax's value as a character and to Terry Farrell's contributions as an actor. Like we yeah. we've talked about it before. Like that that it was her dispute with Rick Berman was a main reason for her leaving is shitty. And Rick Berman is Famously, the guy who who moved the TNG schedule around so that Will Wheaton wouldn't have a big acting opportunity. He also, I read, vetoed lines of dialogue about Dax that Worf would have had in Star Trek Insurrection. So, like, cool guy, Rick Berman. <laughs> and this is, like, 
it's a sort of executive vanity that you hear and read about so often. Like, no one cares about you, Rick Berman. Like, when people talk about what they love about Star Trek, no one's saying your name. Rick Berman is is nowhere near the list. And you will continue to read about the importance of Jadzia Dax's character and how it makes people feel 20 years later. And it's just, it's super shitty that... Berman was as allegedly spiteful and awful to her yeah. as as he was. And it had like really unfair consequences to Terry Farrell and also Jadzia Dax as a character who deserved better than what she got in this episode, I thought. I don't really understand all of the ins and outs of like how people are attached to this franchise and, and you know, ownership and you know, who gets say over what. Because, like, you know, we've talked to the Mission Log guys about, like, how Roddenberry, you know, like, Rod Roddenberry still gets, like, a script before they shoot anything on the new shows. But I don't get the sense that he's, like, making active decisions all the time. He's kind of there to advise Mm -hmm. and, uh, Mm -hmm. and consent as much as anything. But, like, when we went to the Picard premiere, like, they took time to lick Rick Berman's ass. And I was really surprised by that because I was like, doesn't everybody know that this guy is an asshole and a, and a tool and like, and Terry Farrell's in the audience. Like I was, I was thinking all about her during that. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Like I think that her last scene is a credit to her as an actor. And I think that unfortunately this episode is not a credit to her character. It's, I agree. It feels like they maybe found out, in the midst of, you know, mounting the production of the episode or something. I almost, this only has two writer credits and I almost think that this might have benefited from more of a writer salad. Hmm. Like I think some other eyes could have seen some opportunities here because there is kind of an opportunity to send this character off in a way that feels grand and earned and worthy of her role in the show. And it feels like an episode that's sort of half there. Like it's, yeah. it, it, it's got, okay, like we need to get Cisco off the station. We need that to be why Dax dies. We also need that to be like why the prophets stop being present in the lives of the Bajorans. And like, that's a, like a big and great idea for something to write an episode around. But this feels a bit hollow of a treatment of that, you know? If not specifically the writers of this episode, but the creative team, I feel like had a choice about how to write a person off of a show. Yeah. That among those choices, one of them is death. There right. are others. Totally. And and like I think it's just unfair to spitefully have killed her in the way that, that she does. I thought like one of the weird ideas I had was when Ducat was leaning over Dax's body, I was like, is he gonna take her? And then the idea of like, what if season seven, Dukat took Dax's trill and put it inside him? Whoa. Then like, how is Ben Sisko going to to fight an enemy like that? (laughs) (laughs) Shit, dog. How fucked up would that be for a season seven? That's pretty, that's a pretty great idea. I wish you'd been in the writer's room. Spots and spoons, man. (laughs) That's Gal Ducat. He's had all sorts of things inside him lately. Yeah, yeah. Farts and ankylosaurs. <laughs> yeah, well, RSVP, 
uh, Jadzia Dax. Indeed, Adam. Do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the old inbox? I'm on my way there right now. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is from Dad, and it's to Gallagher. Goes like this. You should call me, if only because we have many episodes of The Greatest Generation, The Greatest Discovery, and the hit podcast Friendly Fire to discuss. <laughs> Just as Ben and Adam try to humanize John Roderick on the hit podcast Friendly Fire, you and I should try to humanize each other. So, call your dad. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, Gallagher, you gotta give your dad a call. I mean... We don't know what's going on in their family. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get in the middle of this. <laughs> uh, Gallagher, if you feel okay, call, call your dad. One of the things that I retweet every year on Father's Day is a Mark Marin tweet that he posted like eight years ago or something. He's uh-huh. like, call your dad, take the hit. <laughs> I always thought that was like the most succinct way to put that. <laughs> I think it's perfect. Uh, ben, our next priority one message is of a promotional nature. We usually do the promos first, but this time, uh, this time we're giving it the gavel. And uh, message goes like this: I'm Noam Abram, and whether I'm remodeling a 1700s Victorian house <laughs> or listening to the Greatest Gen, I want to enjoy a great glass of wine. And my favorites come from. Prospice Wines in Walla Walla. Prospice Wines is in Walla Walla, Washington. How's that? Oh, Ben, do you want to take the Vichy part? Sure. Drinking American wines is a war crime! Vichy Frenchman, I wish you'd shut up. <laughs> As a doubt, I've stocked my Malibu cellar with some of the universe's finest wines, and Prospice is as good as it gets. It's no Klingon bud wine, but it pairs well with Gah. Wow, and check this out. Anyone who uses the promo code SCARVES will get 15% off their first order from the winery. You're going to want to go to www.prospice.wine today, and you can buy wine from a winery cool enough to advertise on Greatest Gen. Wow. That's amazing. This is super exciting. I think we have, like, more than one vintner in our in our listening audience and that is very exciting news to me i like that quite a bit wow so prospice.wine is where you go uh we should get (laughs) gawk.wine now go go over to to squarespace get get ourselves a url another one let's see what kind of wines they have what kind of wine do you like adam uh i you know my my wife has gotten me way more into white wine than I ever thought I would be. Well, can I interest you in a Viognier? Or a Walla Walla Valley Rosé? I think I would like that quite a bit. Prospice.wine. Hey, look at that. That is a uh, good-looking bottle. You don't see you don't see labels like that. Yeah. Good-looking good-looking label. Eye-catching. Yeah. Thanks to Prospice for uh, for doing a promo P1 on our show. And uh, 
And best of luck to Gallagher and his dad. <laughs> I hope you guys patch things up. <laughs> maybe, uh, I mean, I don't know if you're drinkers. If you if you aren't, ignore the next part. But if you are, maybe uh, maybe a couple of bottles of wine would help. Yeah. Break the ice. That seems that seems likely. Well, if you'd like to break the ice with your son or <laughs> sell some hooch, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where it's 100 bucks for a personal message or 200 for a commercial message, and we really appreciate it. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I think for me it's going to be Senator Latant uh, <laughs> for making fun of Martok's one eye. <laughs> That, that was pretty withering by him. I mean, yeah. he is, he's playing an away game diplomatically, <laughs> uh, but he is very confident that in that moment that he is not going to be stabbed by a Klingon. <laughs> and uh, I love that scene a whole lot. He's like the survivor in that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where the, the light is reflecting off of the survivor's eye, hitting Larry in the face. And Larry's like trying to block it, and the survivor thinks he's being made fun of. <laughs> oh man, that's some back catalog, Larry, right there. I need it to. Sure is. I need to go diving into that. <laughs> it's a really fun episode. What about you, Ben? There are two guys that I wanted to give it in that same scene. It's it's one of those like high level meetings that you sometimes see in government, where there's the people seated at the table, and then. And then they all have aides that are sitting kind of around the perimeter of the room. And there are two guys in TNG season three uniforms, like back zip TNG uniforms in there. And I wondered like what what happened in those guys' careers that they're still rocking that uniform. I was hoping so much that one of them would be would be Robert DeSoto. I know. Michael Cavanaugh still alive today was definitely alive back when they made Deep Space Nine. I just, God, you got to give that guy a call. I think give him a call. Want to know what's going on with Robert DeSoto? Yeah, he you know he's just super hungover, <laughs> <laughs> little bit uh, like trying to keep it down in the yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I got wasted on the way here. <laughs> Pretty rough ride. Oof. Hood's got a shaky back axle right now and really doesn't help things. Well, always a rough ride is our game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets. <laughs> uh, a, a board that we must consult as we discuss what might be coming our way in the first episode of season seven. This is, of course, at gach.biz slash game, and uh, currently the runabout is on square 44. We have a couple of hazards up ahead. We've got a, a Coco No-No and a space butthole that would take us down to a fuck it, we'll do it live, which is Adam's most hated square on the board. Sure is. All right, Adam, I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone... And I will see what we get. Oh, but I got to tell you about the episode also, don't I? Yeah. 
Do that first. We do that first. It's season seven, episode one, Image in the Sand. With the wormhole closed, Cisco struggles to find a way to reestablish contact with the Bajoran prophets. Yeah, you know, in retrospect, he tells that little girl he's going to try and reconnect with the prophets, and then he just bails. I wonder how much time he lets pass before he... They cut to, they cut to the little girl, like, looking out a window of a docking ring, like... <laughs> I mean, I guess he's going to go do it somewhere else? It seems like he's flying in the opposite direction of where the wormhole used to be. What's going on? He made a pretty emphatic commitment to doing that. When he kneeled down and put his hand on my shoulder and looked me in the eye, what gives? And guess who's riding shotgun? <laughs> I'm going to Earth too. <laughs> be sure to seatbelt me up real tight. Not much use me being around here. The prophet's being gone and all. I suppose I'll do what I've always wanted to do and see the galaxy, <laughs> starting with a little Creole restaurant in New Orleans. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, I'm going to roll this phone. See what we get. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. I've rolled a Pranica, Adam. I've rolled a one. All right. We're on square 45. Regular old episode to kick off the final season of Deep Space Nine. Can you believe it? No. (laughs) It seems like it has really sped by. Too soon. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, it's never too soon to become a supporting member of the greatest generation. You can become one of the best friends of DeSoto by heading to MaximumFun.org slash join. We had a totally amazing Max Fun Drive, and we just want to say thank you so much to everyone who joined up. I know it was really long, but uh, you you all came through in a huge way, and we're hugely appreciative of that. You can follow our uh, Twitter and Instagram handles. Uh, they are we are Greatest Trek on both of those platforms. Those accounts are run by our good buddy Bill Tilly, who makes legendary comedic trading cards about every episode of the show. Uh, Greatest Trek is uh, a place that those get retweeted. So if you're looking for those, you can find them there. Uh, you can also find great communities on Facebook and Reddit that love talking about the Greatest Generation, Greatest Discovery, all of the Uxbridge Shimoda products. The communities being better than the platforms. That's yeah. what you can say about those. True indeed. Um, we got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who makes the original theme music for this show. Got to get the guy working on a, uh, a Janeway song, don't we? We really do. If we can't get Ragusia music for Voyager, I don't think we can do Voyager. So yeah, it just wouldn't be the same. I think I think we could bring a lot of social pressure onto the goose yeah. by putting that out there. Here's here's a here's a tip. Go check out his YouTube cooking channel. Yeah, subscribe to that. Subscribe to that, and then within the first hour of a new video going up, 
leave a message in the comments saying, hey, I hope you do the Janeway song for Greatest Gen. That would really help a lot. That is, of course, in reference to Adam Ragusea telling you and I that all he ever does is read comments in the first hour and then he stops Yeah, completely. He doesn't know what happens after that first hour. And it's amazing. It's a pretty good strategy. Yeah. We really appreciate all the music he's made. Of course, uh, Dark Materia made the original Picard song that was the inspiration for all of that. And... Uh, he was also kind enough to grant us permission to use it. Shout out to my Jim Shimoda group <laughs> out there. Getting strong. Hope you are too. With that, we'll be back at you next time for a great premiere episode of Season 7 of Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, which may have an image in the sand, but I don't believe has image in heap. <laughs> I was just worried they were going to make a Starfleet logo in the sand to call a spaceship from outer space. What kind of show would do that? You sure don't want to start a season of a new show with an image in the sand. (laughs) Pretty lame if you ask me. Weak tea. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.